welcome in to episode nine of the Bluest Tape. I'm Harvey Couch alongside Jeff Colas. And uh, we're back to take you on a journey through the live catalog of Widespread Panic. Um, we appreciate everybody's uh, support, listening. Um, keep listening, keep, keep subscribing. Um, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, and you know, visit the website, bluesttape.com, and be sure to tell your friends about it. So um, last week we, f- we followed up or finished up our, uh, our May 1997, you know, Louisville, two shows in Chicago, and then St. Paul, Minnesota. And um, we split up the, the, the May 97 with a, with a tribute to Colonel Bruce. And, um, and so in honor of Colonel Bruce, uh, we're going to um, take some of his, uh, his teachings and uh and apply them to the next two episodes um jeff you want to try to explain to the good folks sure so one of the clips we played in uh in our colonel bruce show is the clip from the earth will swallow you and it's the talking about the first time that colonel bruce saw widespread panic that show in 1988 how they played with intention and how they you know they played for an audience of 25 like they would have played for an audience you know 25,000 or whatever the number is that he mm-hmm. that, that 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 he said and so we were thinking about you know the next themes we wanted to do for the show and started to hit me that while a lot of the shows that we've been playing are from sort of the heyday of Hauser era panic and playing selling out Red Rocks and selling out the Phillips Arena and playing these big venues, Oak Mountain. Oak, Oak Mountain, yes, our big, our big, our, 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 our tribute to Oak Mountain series that we've been doing too, um, <laughs> is that Panic didn't always sell out every arena that it played in, and frankly, they had a handful of shows where there weren't very many people there, and so these next two episodes are going to be kind of highlighting some of those shows, two stateside shows, and then two shows from uh, their first jaunt out of the country when they headed. Uh, down to New Zealand and Australia in March of 98 to play a handful of shows during the, uh, you know, the, uh, the summertime down in the, in the old Southern hemisphere. So the, f- it's, uh, there's always been these shows that have, I think been kicked around in panic mythology about, you know, where the band was on fire, but the crowd was basically, you know, you could, <laughs> there was maybe 200, 250 people there. And, you know, I think it kind of comes back to Panic Ollie. The, the, the shows we're going to play, the band's game w- rose to the occasion and up their game, and they didn't mail it in um, when they looked out on stage and or looked out into the crowd and saw, you know, only a handful of people. And so I think that's what we're going to highlight tonight because we've got um, the first selection is one of the best shows of fall 96 and therefore it's one of the best shows ever in my opinion i don't know what you, I, I don't know what you think harvey but no i think I, I would probably agree i think this we've already actually mentioned the show i think a couple times earlier uh, when we did our you know 96 uh, episode or spring 96 episodes but um yeah it's interesting you know i mean obviously i think when you when the when the band was playing to a packed house you can they feed off that energy you know whether it was uh you know, Lakefront Arena in the late '90s, or um, or the, the Fox, or Red Rocks, or anything. You know, where where you have a packed packed house, they obviously are are playing off the crowd. But it does seem like they, you know, it, they really do dial it up when they when you know when there's a small crowd out there. Almost as a uh, 
like they're trying to prove something. Mm-hmm. It's like, we're going to go and play a show that will bl- bl- knock your socks off so that you go home and tell all of your stoned roommates that they missed out. It's, <laughs> it's sort of, I don't know. It's just always one of the, especially this Monroe show um, where they're really, they really bring, um, bring the heat and, and, and sort of do a bit of a set list dump. I, w- I always wonder, like, is, you know, I think there are probably like two types of people that would be at a show like this, you know, a little off the beaten path. And that's either, you know, the hardcore fan that really is making the effort to go to Monroe, Louisiana, mm-hmm. or like just the random, uh, you know, Joe Bob, a bear, uh, that <laughs> just like stumbled into the civic center, not knowing anything and, or just like, you know, have their hair blown off. Yeah. I think, I mean, I was looking at the, the tour schedule for 96, for fall 96 today and then i looked at went and looked at the calendar and we're going to see this for the second show that we talk about next week too but this was a show on a monday and monday shows yes panic has played shows on monday we've both seen panic play shows on mondays but on fall tour of 96 they played their the tour encompassed five mondays and they played four of them Hmm. Which is, for some reason, I find really interesting because they played yeah. Gainesville, Georgia on the 7th, Monroe, Louisiana on the 14th, which is the show we're going to talk about tonight, Knoxville, Tennessee on the 21st of October. They skip the 28th, but then, of course, they do the 29th, 30th, 31st, 1st, and 2nd, the epic five-night you know, fall tour of 96 run. And then they go to Auburn, Alabama on November 4th, which is also a Monday. So that is to me. I don't know what that means. It's just kind of a random thing because they didn't play on very many Mondays during sit and ski spring tour or summer tour that year. They played on one in each spring and summer and then two in sit and ski. So, and they took, you know, this was still the time when they actually took Friday nights off occasionally um, or nights when you typically would have played shows. But for some reason, Monday nights were big and all four of those shows I just mentioned are all really good too, especially, um, the, uh, the Knoxville and Auburn shows, along with the one that we're highlighting right now. Just looking at a map, I mean, Monroe, there's just, you know, there's not much there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're not really close to much there. Um, it's, you know, there's the university, which I guess is now uh, University of Louisiana Monroe, which used to be when the, when this show happened was northeastern Louisiana, mm-hmm. one of the one of the four directional schools in Louisiana. But um, yeah, they uh, they definitely had it firing right out of the box of the show too and uh i like this tape this ta- this tape sounds great it's a really great yeah. audi- audience tape it's some uh sheps into some into an odie but the part i love about it is the fact that it's in a bigger it's civic center i don't know how big it is but it seems like it's a pretty decent sized place and mm-hmm. despite being 250 people i can still hear some dude whistling during like whistling <laughs> and like making noise during the songs it's really great um Mm -hmm. and even so like even though it's a a show in the south the crowd's still again there's not many of them but they're still pretty reserved um but i think at least in between songs but the the, i think the band definitely made made it a mission that night to uh try to win some converts over and uh i think they i think they probably did it for sure so uh anything on before we go on with the music no let's let's do it let's start it up 
All right, so this is uh, this is the opener from uh, October 14th, 1996 at the Civic Center uh, in Monroe, Louisiana. And uh, this is uh, the opener of the first set, and um, we'll uh, let them take it away.
All right, that was Widespread Panic in Monroe, Louisiana on October 14th, 1996 at the Civic Center, uh, playing to a crowd of maybe about 200 or so people. Um, I think that might be generous uh, based on some of the things that I've read about the show over the years. And that was the first five songs of the show, um, Holden Oversoul into Dirty Business, into Impossible, into Radio Child, into Barstools and Dreamers. And I think one of the things that really stand as, stands out is the length of some of those songs at the start of the show. According to my records, that is the longest Dirty Business, uh, Hauser era Dirty Business at uh, almost 14 minutes. And then the Barstools is really long. And there, there were five songs in this show that clock in at over 10 minutes. <laughs> um, so they were they were you know, settling in, <laughs> getting comfortable with things, uh, on this night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think they, uh, again, I think they appreciate everybody that was there and, you know, and JB kind of makes light of that when they come out onto the stage for the second set and before ain't life grand and says, I feel like a million people. Thank you very much. This is a great line. I think that's, I think that's pretty good. So yeah. And that second, and the second set, like we were talking about too, is, is, also equally as good if not better in terms of the performance yeah no i love that second set there's great um the hatfield is really good um the, he does a, a riders on the storm rap mm-hmm. which is uh presaging the the debut um i guess 17 days later in chicago when they when they first bust out riders on the storm and then um the rock is really long and you know uh Searching and then the the vacation is just massive. And we talked about this back in the when we were uh, when we did the Johnson City show about um, you know the the development of a vacation turning it into a, to a sort of a keystone song. And and this is definitely one of those situations where it uh, it was holding that you know that uh, clean up spot in the second set. Mm-hmm. And no drums in the second set either. Yeah, well, the the vacation was almost twenty minutes, so I would say that, quality, <laughs> that probably takes that takes the the spot of drums. But um, yeah, the other thing, um, you know, five songs in the show uh, had had not been played in over ten show ten shows since they had been played. So you know, it's nice nice uh, amount of rarities. There was only one other show in Fall '96 that had more than four. Uh, and that was uh, Milwaukee, November first. Um, and then the other thing that that I was, you know, looking at, I was like, man, you know, Dirty Business is the second song. Like that's, you know, you're definitely laying it down early. Uh, but I, I was actually surprised, you know, looking at the every every time played that uh, the Dirty Business between, you know, it, it came back in, in Halloween of '95. Um, between then and 2002. Uh, it was played 16 times and 11 of those times were in the first set. Mm-hmm. So uh, it really, I guess they used it as a scene setter. You know, it wasn't so much of a, you know, a mid second set type thing, but more of a, um, you know, slotting it in the first set. Yeah. And then of course it, it's the um, second set opener at seven one ninety seven um, mm-hmm. to that great ranch bowl show. So it's, yeah, definitely it's an early set, early set thing. Um, and again, yeah. the sort of the, the, uh, you're right about the first set, uh, pieces. And again, they played that song fairly, you know, 
couple few times in sit and ski, two times in sit and ski, and then uh, two times in spring of '96, which we talked about. And then you know, it was I think the shortest time they twelve shows um, was the shortest span that they uh, played that song. So it definitely became one of those welcomed rarities out on the tour. Yep, uh, and also just uh, as I mentioned, this was. Um a stretch of tour where uh, leftover salmon was was opening up for him um who had i guess at that point you know they were they were you know relatively large in sort of the jam scene but um had just kind of you know started getting a little bit bigger so they were um i don't know when it started i mean did, were, was it from the very beginning of that tour um i guess i should have looked this up but um, yeah, it looks like they opened in Tuscaloosa on October 4th, and I think they went all the way through Knoxville. I think that was the last show, because uh, that was when they came out and played with them. Yeah. So, from 10-4 through 10-22. They didn't do all of uh, them, though, it looks like. Like, they did 10-4, but weren't there for a handful of them, um, okay. looks like. So, don't want to live fact check you or anything here on our Well, no, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they skipped 10 10 5 10 7 but then from 10 yeah. 9 through 10 22 they opened every show yeah. and uh kind of surprising that they didn't come out and play more you know that it, it took until the very last um show of the tour or the last i guess two night two nights of the tour mm-hmm. uh, at the tennessee theater in knoxville for them to come out and play with them but um that was uh that was sort of a fun run there yeah, it's a it's a great tour, and uh, you know, a sort of a mythical show. The next night in in New Orleans, uh, at uh, on Tulane's campus at the McAllister Auditorium, um, that for the longest time there was no, uh, you know, there wasn't any recording in circulation, and finally, then when there was one, uh, was not exactly the best quality. Yeah, that was the last. I think that was the last show from '96 that we were trying to find and we dug it up and it was yeah it's it's boomy to L- say the least little muddy little L- muddy little muddy but um, it's a good show though there's good stuff in there so yeah and that's a, that's a cool space that's actually uh, uh the very first live concert that i went to um you know without a chaperone was at the McAllister auditorium um in probably 1990 two or so mm-hmm. uh, I saw Living Color wow man yeah beyond, beyond hip at such a young age Harvey pretty pretty cool <laughs> pretty cool back then so um, alright well anything else on uh, on Monroe Louisiana are we ready to uh, to cross the ocean let's cross the ocean and let's uh, let's talk about uh, Panic's first international jaunt in uh, early 1998 headed down um, to New Zealand and Australia and then they uh, yeah so uh, so they, they start off uh, down under in Australia and um, there you know there are a few shows yeah not not surprisingly uh, a few shows they played five shows in Australia and I guess we only have tapes from two of them is that right uh, three maybe three yeah, yeah three. There are two of these shows we don't have yeah um, and every one of them you know there was a couple hundred people in mm-hmm. attendance yeah i mean small small crowds and and then the, the the sources that are available are about as old school as you can get sony ecm 150s into us into a d6 <laughs> <laughs> which is which is something you'll see on audience tapes you know from from dead shows in the 80s um 
right. but, but so glad that somebody was there to record um, record those things, and especially the two shows uh, we're going to be talking about over the course of well, the one this week and then the one next week. Um, Three eight uh, March eight ninety eight at the Great Northern Hotel in Byron Bay, and then um, the one next week down in uh, or over in Adelaide too. So, you got some got got some comments about this uh, th- this first show uh, that we're going to be uh, going over. Well, you know, I hadn't I hadn't spent much time. Uh, you know, obviously had listened to more of the the European stretch uh, of this tour. Uh, obviously, all those Chesterfield shows, but I, I hadn't spent a whole lot of time. Um, in the uh, in the Australian leg, and um, there's some really good stuff. I mean, not not having any you know images, it's kind of like reading a book. Like you kind of have to just imagine what it's like in there. Mm-hmm. You know, at the Great Northern Hotel. Um, I mean, I just I just sort of imagine that it's in you know like. A, a nice bar, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like just a little bit bigger than a bar, and uh, that the you know that the band is just like squeezed onto a little stage, and uh, and my recollection was that those guys like they opened that they opened that whole tour with traveling light on the very first show and and my my recollection was that the the first sort of stretch down in australia and new zealand like they really were like they were traveling you know they brought as like they they shipped all their equipment to paris i think you know but mm. they brought either you know one guitar each or whatever um and maybe rented some equipment down in australia and um so you know, there's no JB's not playing a mandolin, and and JoJo's on a pretty pretty limited set. Um, so I just imagine you know, uh, almost like they were playing you know like back in the in the late '80s or something. Playing in a bar, yeah. In the uh, yeah. the northern the northern hotel is still open. So uh, like Ryan Adams is actually playing there in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> of course he is. Um, Ryan Adams or Ryan Adams? Ryan Adams. Um, <laughs> and actually, there's a band, I'm looking at it right now, who played there in April. It has a great name called the Psychedelic Porn Crumpets. So wow. uh, I don't know who they are, but they're getting some free pub on the bluest tape. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the places they played are very small. And of course, Byron Bay is the, the city where the, they have the giant blues festival. Um, every year um down there and american artists have played there forever um so and again i don't i not knowing i don't know if it was during during the festival before or after um but clearly if it if it was during the festival they didn't get a lot of carryover because it was a pretty pretty light audience uh that night that one is according to everyday companion approximately 200 in attendance um yeah and, and you wonder how many of those were local i mean sure probably most right i mean we know that that you know there there are plenty of um i think as todd called them trustafarians uh, that made the way to you know and did some of the the european tour yeah um but I, I don't know how many of them made it to uh to australia i mean i'm sure a handful but i think probably most of those were locals i mean there are definitely when they play certain songs there's a lot of hooting and hollering and some cheering and stuff so you know it's probably um there might have been a few but yeah i think you're right I, the uh the equivalent of joe bob Abair of 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 byron bay <laughs> coming in maybe <laughs> to cite your comment from the last show um but yeah it, these i mean these are good shows again they're, they're like you said they're limited in terms of um the sound and quality because the tapes aren't exactly the greatest, but they're still pretty good. But also the band isn't playing with a full, um, 
a full the, the full arsenal the, the full arsenal but the set lists are strong the song selections are good and you know they they're clearly i mean they're clearly you know enjoying themselves and and, and having fun and uh, again it just have you know not being a musician but having played like they had been playing in a lot of the same places for you know the prior 12 or so years but uh, what must have been nice to break out and go do something completely different um, than what they had been doing yeah and also you know i think um i'm trying to think of when the last time they had done a tour of you know a majority one set shows mm-hmm. uh it definitely sort of brings a different sort of taste to the you know the makeup of the of the set lists um getting away from the you know from the standard um you know not nine song ten song whatever you know makeup that they had mm-hmm. to to mix it up a little bit in in these one set shows so let's get uh, started with the music here from uh, March 8th, 1998, the Great Northern Hotel in uh, Byron Bay, Australia. And this is a, what, like Harvey just said, a one-set show. And we're going to be starting right after the right after the show gets going, after a stop-go radio child opener. We'll be doing uh, Pigeons into It Ain't No Use into Love Tractor. So enjoy.
Alright, that was Widespread Panic at the Great Northern Hotel in Byron Bay, Australia. March 8th, 1998. Uh, pigeons into the fantastic meter song, It Ain't No Use, into Love Tractor. And, uh, you know, you look at the set list and starts off with Stop Going to Radio Child and the three songs we just played, and then a giant deep breath with Gradle. And then Arlene Blight, Blackout, Pilgrim's Fishwater. It's just, I love, I, lo- I love the gradle right smack in the middle of the set. It's just a perfect placement and a great sort of catch your breath song um, yeah. for the band or for the audience or for both. <laughs> yeah. And I also love the, the, you know, the double encore. That's not something you see every day where it's the, you know, the mm-hmm. low spark ain't life grand and then come back out and play going out west. Sure. Yeah. And you, Harvey, you're commenting about, uh, J, J, JB with another one of his great uh, JB isms after after Love Tractor. <laughs> but again, it's just um, sort of go, coming back to what we started this show with and what we talked about with Colonel Bruce last week. It's just, I guess, this idea of intention and playing playing in front of a small crowd in a place they've never played before, in front of a lot of people that have never seen them play, You've seen them live before, or seeing them in person and um you know playing a pretty intense five songs right at the start of right at the start of it and you know thanking the crowd for being engaged and being involved and you know and the band not not letting up despite being in foreign territory and and not playing for very many people especially after coming off 97 which was a sort of a pretty big year and they played at a lot of big venues that year yeah, absolutely. So, um, all right. So I think that pretty much wraps up, um, this episode. We are going to, um, we're going to follow the same theme next week. Uh, some more, uh, playing with intention shows and, um, we hope you join, join us for that. Uh, again, you know, appreciate everybody's support. Um, continue to listen, continue to, to tell your, your friends about it, uh, about the bluest tape and, um, you know, subscribe and follow us on Twitter and uh, Facebook and, and all those good things. And, um, you know, definitely spread the word and, um, many thanks. Obviously, you know, we leaned heavily on, uh, on the everyday companion and all that data, uh, that's been collected, uh, for us to nerd out about. And also, um, you know, more, more than ever, the tapers, uh, in shows like this, you know, when they're, you know, just one of a couple hundred, uh, but they make the effort to go out there and, and set up and, uh, and document these shows uh, that otherwise, you know, we wouldn't be able to enjoy. Anything else, Jeff? No, I was just, th- again, I want to echo your thanks to everybody who's been tuning in the past few weeks and continue to follow, subscribe, and listen with intention. 